quick request for the showrunners at HBO. In season four of Succession, I'd like to see them introduce a new character called Surface-to-Air Missile. I'm not above it. I've watched every episode. It's extremely well done. And I'm a huge Brian Cox fan. I'd pay to watch that dude read a Waffle House menu. But what else do we need to know about these fucking people? I think you should make one more episode where they're all in the same chartered jet and they're all looking out the window and there's just long shots of their faces as they look down and see the puff of smoke on the ground which incites their curiosity but then just the ashen slack horror that sets in on face after face when they realized that the bird is locking on. Well, I've been through hard times too. The situation's a man. I bring the hard rhymes through. That's why I'm all times too. Half past despicable. Last man to bring it through. Fast raps and critical stack. Analytical slap slap. I'm hitting you smack smack. I'm sticking you smack. Lift the stack tip all with the lyrical technique. This is Breakup Gaming Society, home to America's least responsible board game group. I am your tour guide, Colonel Hector Bravado. A lot going on in this episode, so I'm just going to outline it all so we can get into it. First of all, out-of-town college buddy from decades ago shows up on my doorstep. That seemed as good at an occasion as any to break open this bottle of 10-year-old bourbon I'd been saving, which we talked about and which went in directions I could not have foreseen. Was it good? You tell us. Then, if you remember episode one, and few do, it's not very good, but had an old buddy named Captain Cato on there, who antagonized me the entire episode, who has now returned, and this time we have a very thoughtful discussion where he does a great job of helping me break down what made Merchants and Marauders, the old pirate board game classic, so damn good and remains good to this day. After that, track of the week for all my hip-hop heads. Then at the very end, hearkening back to some of the show's roots, we're going to finish with some poetry. Now, usually we'd read stuff we found on poetryfoundation.org, but this time it's going to be an original poem by yours truly. It's about eating a live bird on sandwich bread. Make of that what you will. But first, we're, you're about to hear an ad for my new favorite podcast discovery called Cult Worthy. Um, Antonio, I believe, is the host. Here's what I like about Cult Worthy. One, straight up and down, 33 minutes, covers three to four cult movies, with a really good cinematic vocabulary and lots of fun factoids about who is in it and what some of the song or pop culture tie-ins were. It's really good. Here comes an ad for that podcast, all right? The Cult Worthy Podcast. Your host, Antonio Palacios, will guide you week by week through a bevy of cult favorites, obscure cinema, and hidden gems. Listen to us on your favorite platforms or follow us on thecultworthy.com. The Cult Worthy Podcast. Strong work, Antonio. Now we're going to get drunk. Drunks of the week. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So comes the Mark Twain quote wisdom of one of three derelicts who managed to thread their way through the several deadfall traps I put on this property and come in here and drink my whiskey. This is the Colonel Hector Bravado, Breakup Gaming Society, back for drink of the week with uh, Townie, Spawn of Townie, and, uh, and Mark Twain quote. That's a gentleman I'm pro- provisionally calling Mark Twain quote. And it just so happens I've been saving for no reason, not for them. If you've got to look at these person, you wouldn't even save them a goddamn Trisket. But um, I have a bottle of Widow Jane, aged 10 years in New American Oak Barrels. Look at that, batch 464, bottle 719, date 2021. 
45.5% uh, alcohol, that's 91 proof, supposedly made better by the world-renowned aquifers and the limestone water of New York State, whatever. But gentlemen, um, I only say this, I'm glad you made it here. It's an awfully bizarre surprise to see you, and I'm going to give you our toast. May you fight long and well. Long and well. So, if I remember from our college days back in the past, you never really had to wait around or drag an opinion out of the townie. <laughs> He'd kind of tell you what's on his mind. And I was like going to pause it while we sort of savored it and, and let it sink into the palate. So, he's just over here going off. So, um, you're, you're. Well, I just jumped right in and decided that there's nothing widow about this. This is Virgin Jane. It, it tastes too clean and too pure to have anything to do with a widow. It's it's got a it's got a sweetness and innocence to it, so so, so it should be like a debutante Jane or <laughs> cotillion. Debutante Jane. I don't think it's cotillion Jane either. I think it's <laughs> I think it's more like uh, more like you know beige beige small pillbox hat covering the bun on the rear of the head sweetness, you know that that type of uh, that type of southwestern sweet maiden uh, vibe. Uh, Oddly specific and very evocative. I'm, you know, the one thing I'm getting off this, it is very light-bodied, and it's got a really well-balanced spice to it. The burn is almost non-existent. It's exactly. super damn smooth. This and is like Basil Hayden smooth. There's none of that. There's none of that uh, bullet bourbon extra tang in it. It's uh, which I don't like. I, I think that's that's more like eating a lollipop or something. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Some some just hit you, hit you too sugary. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, Mark Twain. Ma Mark Twain, come come over here. Get a little up on that mic and tell us what you're experiencing. Somehow we like to discuss and debate. Actually, I I feel it's an it's not that sweet actually, because maybe I I ever tasted well, sweetness, very sweetness. Sweetness part. as in innocence. Yeah, and the remember so you don't like think it's Mitch, innocent. Like Mitch actually bought certain uh, I think bourbon from Safeway. I remember he says Safeway have a very best price in bourbon. In, actually, don't go anywhere else. Just go to Safeway. Ah, here in Colorado, grocery stores cannot sell hard liquor. Okay, maybe that's not true here. So, all right. So, but this one—that's a, a sin. All right, sin against God and man, right there. Just tell me. Anyway, about let's it. go back to Mark Twain. Yeah. So I think it's a proof um, of us somehow. I, I feel the sorrow of the widow. Actually, yeah, you think it's, it's, a, it's, I think somehow he, she's the solitude. More of oh, okay. but maybe, maybe I, maybe the girl I met so sweet. So make this uh, widow somehow. Do you think the widow had some purity to her, or she was just you know some old ass? In terms of a purity, I think it's, it's a pure. In terms of uh, mm, let me see. Now, the, it, it, I think it's a re, uh, remove the sweet part. It's the, it distill that part. Then it, there's indeed there's some sweetness that remains, but that is a uh, minimum. Are we reviewing a bourbon or a corpse? I am fucking <laughs> lost right now. Is, is this about the drink or some like fictional girl you guys invented? You should the, the conversation he's been listening to for the past twenty hours. This is just a, a microcosm. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, so Townie Jr., you have to sit in a car while these two write short stories in their fucking head all day yeah, yeah, yeah. about the sweetness of the widow and whether or not she was a whore or not. Is that what we're talking about? Actually, I will we say... We clear of the whore. We, we don't want to be judgmental. That, that, that's absolutely true. She's um, going to be a slut. That, that's why I will... Uh, I, actually, based on what I'm experiencing, I like and would buy again uh, sex worker Jane. All right, sorry, widow Jane. Come I, on, come on. Yeah. Doesn't anybody taste the purity? 
back on that again. Actually, yes. It's important to you, it's important the, to me. The answer is to me. I mean, that's really to me. It's very personal, right? So, so without that sweetness move, to me, I mean, it's, it's reduced to certain sum as uh, maybe family or even sweetness. But, but, but it's uh, as maybe you just used the word water. It's a, it's a, it's a purify. It's a more like a pure H2O, right? So, so less. Oh, less so now we're back to the artesian aquifer bullshit that they <laughs> spout about this. And, and, and not only is it light, it's light bodied without being any syrupy aftertaste. Um, and it's got a really uh, uh, fruity spice to it without a burn. It's a really, really fucking good bourbon. This I will is say reminded that. me of your mention of Playboy earlier. In that case, boy, it was it's definitely think, more of a right? Playboy than a so, husband. So, taste. yeah. Well, I'll, so, I'll so go with that. Know, yeah, this, this is, this is a Playboy that, quality. Right. Or like a young girl as a so sweetness or pure sweetness. I think I think the widow is a solitude. It's a very strong woman as she goes through all the suffering. And the widow just also towards suffering in that. In who, who says the widow had to suffer? I think the widow. Yeah. widow I think maybe the pass away. I do not right? think the this is a suffering. Away, the, yeah, I mean, you do, we don't know who she was married to. Maybe this is a big yeah. break for her. Maybe she's <laughs> super stoked. Maybe the guy knew how to make booze and she's taking advantage. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, he's like, here's the, here's the still and the recipe. I'm gonna die of a massive coronary. She's like, fuck yeah. Good maybe, on you. Maybe that's a part You're of the sweetness set. still remains. Yeah. There's still sweetness there, right? So yeah. still, but maybe that's a part of the sweet memory. We say we, we talk about what's the last the most or in the end of your day is memory. Is that sweetness, which is uh, well at the end of the day, part. yeah. yeah. Um, I do know that if you're in the Philippines, you can't get any kind of decent bourbon. You're you're stuck on Jack Daniels, or Beam. That's it. I, I, and we'll get there. I will drink some fucking Beam. I don't give a shit. But I would drink. I would drink this first. So this has been drink of the week with. Definitely, I, we'll drink that first. Uh, that went places. I didn't think it would go. So you know, I, I, I start off making fun of these guys, and it turns out I have three road poets on my hands. So welcome, welcome to Starkville, motherfuckers, and thanks for stopping by. Yeah, it compares to Jack Daniel. <laughs> Jack Daniel, Daniel maybe sweeter than these ones. It's way sweeter than this. Yeah. Oh, ja oh, Jack Daniels is like drinking IHOP syrup. Yeah, compared that's to exactly this. what Jack Daniels is. That's why I don't like it. Right. Yeah. That's or, or like, or like, if you ever drink some like some straight Evan Williams, you go into diabetic shock. Oh yeah, you do. That stuff is that stuff. And 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 all bourbon is going to have a sugary note, but some is cloying. And oh, man. and I've, I have to say, this is one of the better new bourbons I've. I had in a long time. That was my major disappointment with the Philippines. I went into a, a liquor store. That's all I could get. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's what you have? You don't have any decent whiskey? So in order to get decent whiskey, I had to go with my boss to the one whiskey bar in Manila, or in, no, GCP, and he got more hammered than <laughs> I've ever seen him get hammered, and I got almost as hammered as I've ever been, and... And he, we tried to have a conversation, and it didn't work out very well. Um, that's so uh, similar story. I, I was in uh, uh, where's Osaka mm -hmm. with a buddy. I love these Osaka stories. Th this is just ugly because um, thinking he was going to make a lot of connections and do business, he had his business cards translated into Japanese. And our last night there. We're, dr we're going home in the taxi, and he's actually trying to speak with this guy in, like, mocking, pigeon-made-up Japanese. 
the guy would talk to him and he'd go, bah, 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 bah. and I'd, I'd punch him, like, shut that shit off. And he'd look at me, he's like, shut the fuck up, we're doing business. And oh my lord in heaven. Which guy was that? I remember that guy. That was the Death Rocket. He was actually here on episode 18 and he'll be back someday. What was someday. his name? <laughs> Not on this show. <laughs> no, on this show. <laughs> All right. I met him though, didn't I? He came over to our apartment. Little, little guy. Yeah. The hardest partier you've ever met in your life. Uh, oh, you, or are you thinking that. John Wade across the way? The no, that guy was a, that guy was a mendicant. He was bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, this has been Drink of the Week. Townie, Townie Junior, and the deliverer of Mark Twain quotes. Thank you all very much. We're going to be uh, back momentarily, momentarily with some kind of game discussion. I don't know. Let's go into town and get drunk. Game of the Week. One of the most immensely satisfying things in board games is when a friend sees what's special in a title on your shelf and then adopts, adopts it and gives it more table time than you ever could. The friend in question, and a voice you may recognize if you have listened to our first episode ever, is Captain Cato. Duke of Ultramar, and graduate of Fordham University's <laughs> School of Rules Lawyering. Welcome back. I'm actually a self-taught lawyer. Even worse. So Lionel Hutz, rules lawyer, at your service. And, and the game in question is Merchants and Marauders, the pirate classic. Uh, for those of you who've never heard of it, imagine something that straddles the line between a historical RPG, a pick-up-and-deliver game, along with some of perhaps the most merciless player inter- interaction mechanics I've ever seen on a game table. And after sampling it in our group, when you went down to Texas for a while, you made sure you had a copy of that. And I understand it was the foot locus of some pretty fierce rivalries. So what I'd like to do, Captain Cato, is kind of give you the floor to break down what it is, and why you loved it so much. Yeah, thanks, Nate. So I actually thought about uh, looking up the game and reviewing the rules before this, but I was lazy, and I also completely deliberately decided not to because... Totally acceptable. Uh, it's it's such a great game, I think it'll, it'll always have a place uh, very vividly in my memory. Though it takes a certain kind of personality to, uh, to enjoy this game and want to play it once you find those people... Uh, you're going to get tons of great nights out of it. And as let's let's break down for somebody's like, what the hell is that? So what you have is you have a map yep. of the Caribbean, right about the the peak of colonization and the attendant piracy. Yeah, I think in the seventeenth century. Yeah, makes sense. There's um, did you say seventeenth? I sure did. <laughs> yes, the date is February, and uh, there are four major colonial powers at play: what the Dutch, Spanish, the French, and the English, I believe. Yep, and pirates. And your job is you get handed a random captain from one of these nationalities with its, his or her own skills. And this is where the RPG part comes in because the choices you make in the game or how you choose to attack the board based on your skill set is going to determine a lot of what you do. And what you do is you get a little starter ship and you start plying the board, looking for lucrative side missions, figuring out how to make trades, or if you decide it's a cla- faster climb to the top, you can start raiding merchant vessels, at which point you become persona non grata to an increasing amount of the board. Yeah, yeah, you've got this really colorful uh, sort of height of the uh, imperial conquest in the Caribbean by the European powers moment captured <clears throat> in this naval setting. Right and uh, yeah, like you said, you can uh, 
Yeah, the, the goal of the game is to be the first to acquire 10, I think, fame points, and you can get these fame points in a number of ways. You can do it by uh, raiding merchant ships and getting a, you know, a haul of a certain size. You can do it by making very lucrative trades. Basically, the cheaper you bought and the more expensive you sold in enough volume um, can get you some points. There are special missions you can conduct. Uh, you, I, as I recall, you can get points by uh, by eliminating other players temporarily. Though there's a uh, there's a great resurrection mechanic that keeps people people invested in the game. I, and I want to talk about the resurrection mechanic. When I talked about this being the most vicious, black-hearted game at its core in the world, is, is that is you are allowed to attack the other players, and if you win, their captain dies. You get all their money, all their upgrades, their ship, and their cash. Right. Yeah, so there's there's uh, there's two sides to that coin. Yes, one is that vicious, uh, yeah, that, that viciously aggressive potential, which can uh, which can yeah get you uh, get you a leg up in the game. Uh, there's also the aspect the resurrection mechanic plays both ways, right? So if you defeat you know if you defeat your opponent, uh, they're still in the game. They might lose some cash, but every every player gets a stash at their home port. Where they can come back to and deposit their money that carries over, even if their uh, even if their their captain is eliminated, they get to come back in the game with whatever stash they happen to save. But it's, again, stashing is an optional thing. Otherwise, you start over with basically a robo. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Halfway through the game, because I'll tell you, and this is a story, because sometimes what some you're talking about depending on a certain kind of player. We'd have a group that would sort of kind of not mess with other people with some unspoken thing, except this day, Gavin was at the table. And on turn one or two, I decided to go to the dark side. I raided a Dutch uh, merchant ship and ended up with like a whole gang of like fruit or cocoa or something. And it just so happened that good was in demand one sea zone over. All I had to do, my ship was pretty heavily damaged, but I was afloat and I had a hold groaning with loot Gavin noticed this and on his next turn before I could get to port and make the trade he attacked me sunk my vessel took it all took all that cargo parlayed it into 30 gold on turn 3 and yes I did get another ship but I was never in it again and every time I still think about that game I'm still kind of mad at him for it (laughs) yeah I I can uh, I can imagine That's that's a rough go it definitely, it's you know you can't avoid uh, you can't avoid the costs. Uh, it, it is going to put you at least a couple a couple points behind if you get eliminated. Um, you know, but the other coin of the resurrection mechanic that I was talking about is that players, you know, the, the the aggressive player in that situation is often taking a chance as well. And the resurrection mechanic also in, encourages some of that aggressive gameplay. Because uh, even if they're unsuccessful in their attack, they may still be able to weaken you, and they haven't lost the game completely. Um, you know, they've uh, they've maybe delayed delayed their own economy and advancement a little bit, perhaps. And, and talk about the spirit of your players. I saw, I remember a thread about this on a board gaming subreddit from years ago, where one of the gentlemen who responded to my original question claims this is the internet here i did not vet this claims that that his group was so cutthirsty that at one point the the best ship you can get in the game through the upgrades is a galleon mm-hmm. it's big it's hard to sink holds a lot of cargo it's beautiful and 
he claims that they had a galleon that changed hands five times during one game. They were just carjacking each other turn after yeah. turn. Well, certainly as you know, as you recall from the gameplay. So when uh, when players engage in ship to ship battles, if the uh, you know if the loser's ship survives, the winner can can take it over. Right? They can pick whether to stick with their own ship or to take over their opponent's ship. And uh, you know, oftentimes you'll choose to take over your opponent's ship if it's more powerful. Thing is, it has probably sustained a lot of damage at that point, and so I think that's where things can get a little hectic. As you know, as you brought up with Gavin's case, you know, even people who are trying to play by you know arbitrary moral rules outside the the scope of the game, when an opportunity, a very lucrative opportunity, presents itself, it's hard uh, it's hard not to take advantage of it. So you got a player that just ex- you know expended all their resources, all their special weapons. Um, you know, they lost all their crew boarding, you know, boarding the opponent's ship and they managed to take it over without destroying it, which uh, which, which is tricky and usually costs you a little extra in the fight uh, True. You know, to win without destroying it. And and now they're a sitting duck. Right. They've expended all their resources. They have this bigger ship, but they haven't had time to go to port and repair and restock. And that's a great opportunity for another player to swoop and get all the benefit without any of the cost. That this is true, and you, you brought up repairs, and you know we, we were talking for a while about the cutthroat nature of the game. I'm going to talk about some other elements of the game that, even though I'm no good at it, that I love, and that is the way it evokes its world and the amount of things there are to do and manage. It, uh, upgrading your ship, yes, get a leaky hull, have to port somewhere, that's going to cost you money. Lose crew in a boarding action, yes, money. Um, sometimes an event card will mean a tropical storm and nobody can move as far. Or, and this is always fun, sometimes two of the four colonial powers will go to war. And depending on what nationality your captain is, all of a sudden you can't trade for, at half the ports around you. And and between that and the, the captain abilities and the upgrades you can get for your ship, it really does evoke that little feeling of trying to get your own fledgling venture off the ground in very tough waters. Yeah, you, you talked uh, in the opening about the role play elements. Uh, you, captains have we won't get into this uh, the different uh, statistics that captains have because that would be a little too much to explain here. But captains have different strengths and weaknesses. But the captains themselves don't really upgrade over time. The main role play element is in your ship and upgrading your ship or upgrading to a bigger ship or getting special weapons that you know give you an extra die roll or give you an increased chance of success. Um, and I think the game does a really good job of giving you different paths that have you know, real costs and benefits. Is you can't be good at everything, and there, especially in the early game, there's a key trade-off between sort of size and maneuverability, mm-hmm. where if you, uh, with one of the smaller ships, there's a certain upgrade you can get where you're so fast, it doesn't matter how many guns your opponent's shooting, is you can just sail circles around them uh, and still be very, very successful. So I think there are different, uh, as we talked in the beginning, there are different ways to gain points. You don't even have to, you don't necessarily have to engage in trade. You don't necessarily have to engage in combat. You can just be running around exploring, uh, you know, knocking out these, uh, you know, really flavorfully well done uh, side missions and just kind of try to stay out of everyone's way. But that requires different skills from your captain and different abilities to focus on with your ships than it does to be successful at trade or to be successful in combat. And even within combat, there are differences in 
uh, you know, cannon combat versus boarding fights. And there's there's a mechanic of kind of closing the distance. Can you survive long enough to close the distance to board? Once you board, you know you can win. But you know, what if your mask gets taken out? before you're able to board. Or, or, oh, shit, they're packing the grape shot today. Yeah, yeah, really, I think it's a really well-balanced game. It gives you uh, a lot of options. And you're talking about some of the side quests. If you want to be a a fat and happy merchant with a a big groaning ship that nobody's nobody's too afraid to attack and go do favors for people, I remember at one point I did do one of the missions. It was immensely satisfying because the mission was to get... uh, the niece of some ambassador across the map, you know, with a, mm-hmm. with, within a, a certain time limit. And it was a pretty handsome payoff. And I just remember just hauling ass. You get focused on that. However, there's one thing I think the game designers do to sort of make the what path will I take easier, and that is your captain does come with skills categories, which will give you hints as to whether they're really great. Sometimes they're great sailors. Sometimes they're, they're you know, skillful diplomats, etc. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, delving more into the the balance, uh, I think we found that playing with you know three or four players was sort of the best balance with 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 two with two players. I think if you have one of those big uh, kind of head to head PvP interactions where one player sinks another, it's it's hard to come back from that. You're relying a it's lot on devastating on chance. It's devastating. But if you have three or four players, and I think the game maxes out at what five. Five or six, or does it? I'm I'm, I'm thinking four. We have to there, check. Only, there are only four colors yeah. of boat. If I call, if I recall, I think you're right. You're right. Yeah. But with three or four players, you can form some informal alliances. And of course, there there are no there are no formal mechanisms in the rules to make or enforce alliances. So uh, as we talked with you know some of those opportunities that present themselves that are really hard not to take advantage of. I guess you got to weigh weigh the cost to your reputation in future games uh, against the potential gain. But uh, playing with three or four players opens up this dynamic where if someone's getting ahead, you know, it's first past the post to get to those 10, you know, 10 victory points or fame points. So victory points, as, yeah. as someone starts encroaching on that goal, other players can combine their efforts. And, you know, you can say, okay, I know I'm not going to take you out, but I'm going to take a few pot shots at you Maybe you know, maybe tear down your mast, and then I'm going to get the jam, know, jam get the stick hell the out spokes. of there. Yeah, and the next guy can come in and you know and finish wrecking you. Yeah. So it opens up some uh, some interesting options for collaboration to uh, to counterbalance someone's momentum. And and I hate it when it becomes a personality issue and somebody fixates on me outside the logic of the game. But however, yes, if every player is engaged and paying attention, there should be a balancing crabs in a barrel effect. If somebody's on a runaway. Well, you, you better, yeah, put a shot across the bow. Yeah, this is one of those games where I think to to have a good time, you need people who take games a little bit seriously. I, uh, you know, I remember playing Monopoly with my mom, and she just doesn't care, and she's happy to give all her money to my little sister, <laughs> and uh, didn't make for a for a great, uh, very strategic game. Yeah, people, you know, it's 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 somewhat complicated game. People have to be invested in it. People have to be thinking about the sort of math and the momentum and the timing, uh, and you know, and, and be thinking strategically and, and willing to engage in some partnerships. And fair warning: combat's 
kind of a crunchy mini, mini game unto itself, and I found it confusing. Fortunately, when we played with Captain Cato, subsequent games, yeah. he, he was uh, an ace at the rules. But if one player attacks another, usually you just have three action points to expend on a turn, and most turns are just like I move to this zone, I go here, I buy something. That's the end. But if but if two players get sideways with each other, everything stops. And you bring out these maps of like where the the hit points are in your ship, and you have a, a few very tense moments. But it seems to me that's fine because if you realize what's at stake, the people who aren't fighting should be riveted on that. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me of you know some of the best moments of Risk. Risk is in many ways a, a simplistic and terrible game, but I remember one of the high points would be those dice battles when you know you've each got ten, twenty armies and. You know, you go one at a time and, you know, it doesn't seem, uh, you know, it's hard to tell who's going to win. And then someone gets, you know, wins three armies at a time and you start to see you start to see the balance shift and, you, you know, you start to lose the light at the end of the tunnel. You have a lot of those great moments in the in the dice battles uh, when you when you have ship to ship combat or someone trying to board. And as I mentioned, they're, you know, they're they're uh, kind of phases of the battle where before you can board. You have to, you know, you have to succeed in certain special dice rolls to, you know, get close enough to your opponent to be able to board. And there's damage you could do that could leave you dead in the water. You could have all those expert, expert uh, rapier wielding boarding party that's just stuck there getting shredded with grape shot from standoff. Uh, so the the dice battles are are really engaging and tons of fun. Absolutely, and, and certainly more evocative than a risk battle. <laughs> uh, yes, well, yes. So so this has been. Merchants and Marauders Revisited with the help of the person in my friend, friend's group who knows the most about it, Captain Cato. Good to see you in Colorado soil again. Thank you for coming back on the show. It's been 49 episodes since we saw you, but welcome back. Thanks. Get this barbershop quartet bullshit out of here. What the hell? Yeah, yo, is this supposed to be a Dan Geritol boy band you got going on bullshit. here? Yeah, it is. Kind of stupid. Fucking Next. Dark. Relax and take a seat. Oh, sit God. back and play the beats and blast it in your Jeep. Stupid. It's the track of the week. I'm ratchet in the streets. Talk trash to the geeks. Get smacked in the beat. It's the track of the week. Round about 83, 84, most of my musical diet was minor threat, suicidal tendencies, charge GBH, seven seconds, and quite frankly, I didn't have the patience for much else. But then one night it happens. Sitting there watching cable late at night by myself, and Night Flight is on. It was an old overnight video show. And Rockbox by Run DMC plays. Now, just by virtue of having been alive during that time, hip-hop had made little dents on my eardrum. You know, I'd heard Grandmaster Flash and some Houdini, some Curtis Blow, but none of it really stuck. But that video dropped, and I'm like, oh, what the fuck is this? And, you know, not too long after that, on my modest collection of vinyl, King of Rock by Run DMC appears. Now, the hard part about this segment was just trying to pick a little cross-section that's illustrative of the fantastic energy and production of Daryl and Joe, parentheses, Crush Groove 3, off-run DMC, King of Rock. You know what? I, I picked one. F it. Um, if, here it goes. If, if you need this explained to you, you, know, you probably listen to the wrong damn show. I don't have patience for it anyway. 
again, this the year of the rap And I'm never drinking beer, champagne in the tap And I'm cold making money on a regular basis Pulling out not to suck an MC face Travel around the world with my mind at ease No Calvin Klein, just Wayne Lee Got credit in countries I've never been Cause the records I write are in the top ten The top of the chart is where I stay But I also chill around the way In Holland, Queens is where I Giants when this dropped. Giants now. Giants forever. Rest in peace, Jam Master J. And now, as promised during the introduction, we're going to recite a piece of original verse called Flap Toast. Flap Toast. You can keep your tendies and sauces. Tonight it's fresh off the wing, writhing and crunchy, and tearing holes in the bread with its final struggle. You thank the bird eye to eye before the incisors snip the hollow neck, but only if you bear down like you mean it. This night is like no other. No, you cannot connect to my speaker. We're not listening to your shit. Stop talking about Costa Rica. You were boring when you went to Costa Rica, and you were boring when you got back. The stars have moved again over the patio, and you're still sitting there with your warbler on Sarah Lee ready to go like you don't even know how to party. Bitch, I just made you flap toast. <laughs>